this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. In 1970, an African-born Indian immigrant to England named Farouk Bulsara joined a fledgling rock band named Smile. Nice try, though. After inspiring the band to make some significant style changes, taking risks rarely seen in rock and roll or any music genre for that matter, The band changed its name and became a global icon, a superstar, with hits like Anybody name that song? Awesome. Yeah. And hits like this one right here you might recognize. We won't go on and on, but we will say it hits like this one too. They're all so different, right? And finally, the one we all karaoke to, but none of us as well as Jonathan Chadar. If you've never heard Johnny karaoke to this, you've got to make it happen sometime soon. I'm not going to try right now, though. Freddie Mercury, as Farouk later became known, has gone down as one of the greatest rock and roll singers of all time. And he has solidified Queen's place in history, in the history of music, as legendary. As you can imagine, though, the road uh, to fame wasn't paved with rainbows and Grammys, although there were plenty of Grammys. In fact, as chronicled by the recent smash hit Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie about Mercury's life, this journey to and through fame was littered with greed and deception and addiction and betrayal and eventually even redemption. In one particularly powerful scene, Mercury's lover, Mary Austin, comes in search of Freddie. After he had broken up the band to pursue a solo career and had sunk deep into the pit of addiction and loneliness despite being surrounded by people. Freddie had believed what a couple of people close to him had been saying for years and that was that he was better off alone. Take all the money for yourself. These people are holding you back. He believed it. He started to listen to voices that in the end turned out to be selfishly motivated and eventually led to his near destruction. Some would argue they led to his early death. Mary confronts Freddie in the pouring rain one night at his home during the middle of a bender that 
Freddie was on. She's in the backseat of a cab, and she turns toward him as he's being soaked by the rain. And in tears, she says to him, Come home to your family. These people in that house don't love you. Freddie, come back to us. We love you. And she drives off, and he's left standing there with a decision to make. Do I listen to the voice that's calling in the name of love, or do I listen to the voices that are clamoring for position, power, and wealth? In today's passage, we hear a progressive warning to believers. Some might take Mary Austin's line there as a warning. Come home or else. What is this life going to lead to? Uh, Tonight we're going to talk about this progressive warning uh, that the writer of Hebrews gives to believers who will be tempted to listen to other voices that will certainly try to speak into their life. After last week when Daniel preached, we heard that God the Father is, listen to this, faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to give us a high priest, an apostle, who is even better than Moses, like we talked about last week. Now listen as the writer of Hebrews continues this thought. Remember, throughout Hebrews, you hear a lot of therefores. So he's building a case. Remember, like we said, Jesus is better, and he's giving reason after reason why. So he's coming off this great exposition about how God is faithful to give us a high priest, even better than the one who you think is the best one. And then he says this, therefore, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. If you're wondering what that's about, Anka just read it. It's a quote from Psalms. And what's happening, what he's talking about is when the people of Israel were not stepping out in faith, believing that God was going to give them the land he promised. And so God forbid them to enter the land, and they wandered around for 40 years. They heard his voice, but they heard 10 other voices, spies who had gone into the land that said, you, we cannot overcome these people. And they chose to ignore the voice of God and listen to the voice of the ten spies. That's what he's talking about, wandering around. That was a day of testing, God said. Two voices, and you failed the test, and you were in the wilderness. Verse 10. Therefore, because of that, I was provoked with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm unto the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard 
and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? In other words, they had heard the word of the Lord to leave this terrible ruler in Pharaoh, and God performed amazing miracles to get them out. Split a sea in half, and they walked on dry ground, and then the sea swallowed up their enemy. He's saying, it was that generation that didn't believe me when I said that I could overcome a city. Verse 17, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Meaning that generation died in the wilderness. They did not enter the rest. And to whom did he swear that they shall not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord, and I pray that as we seek to understand it tonight and to apply it to our lives, that we would hear clearly a distinction of voices. That as the noise fills our head, even right now, with concerns of the world or concerns of sin, you would speak clearly by the power of your Holy Spirit with the voice of Jesus to us and show us the way in which we should go. May we be obedient to step out in faith when you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with a question. What voices are you listening to? Whose voices do you hear? I don't necessarily mean, you know, like, I heard voices, but that could be the case for you. Another question for you to consider is, for us to consider, When we hear the voice of Jesus, do we recognize it? Could you point to a time in the last week where you said, you could say confidently, I heard the voice of the Lord and I obeyed it? What about the last month? Jesus spoke to me and then I followed what he said. These are questions that a passage like this begs us to, a- to answer. So questions are uncomfortable, right? I mean, it's actually mo- more comfortable for most of us as Western learners if I just give a talk, if I don't ask questions, because questions cause us to seek our souls, right? To search ourselves and see what's really going on, while a talk could be encouragement and a slap on the back. But I want us to wrestle with those questions. In fact, there's a blank section for notes this week. And if any of these questions that I ask along this sermon are some that really cause you to ponder about yourself. I want you to write that question in those notes. And then, instead of going back, like all of you do every week, I know, and studying those notes throughout the week, <laughs> uh, instead of that, go back and ask yourself that question every day and, and sit in it for a few minutes. So here, again, here's, there's going to be a few throughout the, throughout, throughout the night, but what voices are you listening to? That's one question to consider. Another one is, When you hear the voice of Jesus, do you recognize it? You see, this warning passage alerts believers to a progression, a progression that can take place if we are not on guard. The heart referred to um, here involves the mind, the will, and the emotions. So listen to this. um, So uh, 
in verse 8 when it says, do not harden your hearts. And then it says it again in verse 12, an unbelieving heart. And then again in verse 15, do not harden your hearts. It could be lost on us what exactly the writer means. So let me explain it to us. It means your mind, your will, and your emotions. The New Testament was written in Greek, and this Greek word, much like some English words we have, contain more meaning than can be espoused from just one word explanation. So heart did not mean the beating thing inside your chest in this context. It meant your entire being, your mind, so that's your thoughts, your will, what you intend to do, and your emotions. So let's listen to this progression with that in mind, that we're not just talking about how we feel. Although that is included in it, it is only a part of the heart. So here's the progression. It goes like this. Um, You can write this down if if it helps you to see, uh, analyze later, am I going through this progression? Or when have I, because we all have, from sin to unbelief to a hard heart. Sin, unbelief, hard heart. Sin is this. Sin is, who I once listened to, I don't hear anymore. So verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Continuing in verse 13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So sin is when the one who you once listened to, Jesus, he's speaking to believers here. If you are not a believer in Christ, you can listen during this time as well. But we have something really special for you toward the end of the sermon. That will be addressed as well. But right now, the writer is addressing believers. And he says, when, when you are deceived by sin, it is as if another voice, one who you can't trust, has begun speaking to you. And it's not, it's not a sin for that voice to speak to you. That should be said. When you are tempted, you are not in sin. After all, remember, Jesus was tempted as well. But he was tempted what? Without sin. In other words, he didn't step into that sin. The the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer says, lead us not into temptation. That means when the temptation is facing me, God, give me the power that I may not be led into it. Because when we step into sin, what we're taught by that prayer and by this passage here is that we have been deceived. There is a voice speaking to us that is saying something that sounds good enough, probably a a hint of truth. So uh, back to the smile story, or queen, if you insist on calling them by that name. Freddie was told over and over again by two people very close to him that he was queen. After all, it was his idea to name the band. He's the one that led them in these style changes. You see, this was deception. It turned out true in a very hard way for Freddie Mercury. I mean, he lived this deception. This is a tr- it's not ju- it is a great movie, but it's not just a movie. He really was deceived by them. And he really did throw away all those voices who he trusted for years, and he followed it. And what happens when we are in sin is that we start to believe 
the lies that are told to us. So another question you might write down, one that we each have to handle in this area right here, this part of the warning is, what lies am I believing? It's a question if you consider yourself a spiritual person or one who follows God. You should consider often. Maybe even you have a checkup once every week or once a month where you say, have I fallen into deception? What lies am I believing? Lies sound, can sound like a lot of things, but some of the lies we believe, we start to hear and b- tend to believe most here in New York are ones that have to do with material things. New York has been called the most materialistic city of all time. In fact, in an um, article that was posted uh, two weeks ago, there was research done across all 50 states based on 43 categories, all falling under the seven deadly sins. And they were trying to figure out which state is the most sinful. You know where New York was? No. I set you up for that. I thought that too. Number 24. Not bad. Florida was number two. Floridians, you got anything to say for yourselves? Or <laughs> uh, Nevada was number one. There's a lot of greed, a a lot of lust, a lot of things going on in Nevada. But New York did rank number one in one specific category, and it was vanity. New York is the most vain state. I mean, anything that comes from New York, you know, starts in the city. And is that not true or what? Is that a lie we believe? That there's something we can do based on our appearance or what we own that can put on a fake front. That's what vanity is. Vanity is lying to people on purpose, like putting something out there, That's why it's called a vanity mirror. Say what you will about it, but that's the point. You're going to sit in front of that mirror, and you're going to put on something that's not really you. I'm not against makeup. Don't worry. I'm just saying that's the point of it. You are becoming someone who is a different version of yourself. So the lies we believe, or is one of the lies we might believe is, if you don't do that, you won't succeed here. Are you believing that lie, that you have to be someone different than who you really are in order to succeed in your relationships, maybe? Maybe you're struggling to find the right person, so you start thinking, maybe there's something wrong with me. That's not the worst thought in the world. We should probably consider that one. But if we tend to be deceived by thoughts like that, it can take us down a rabbit hole that leads to self-image destruction, right? Another lie that we might believe is that we can do it all on our own, right? New York, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, right? How big of a chip does that put on our shoulders that, I mean, all of you are sitting here, so whether you think you're making it or not, you're making it in some way, form, or fashion. So you made it here. Now you can just go in the world and make it anywhere. It puts you up here right on a pedestal. I can do it on my own. The, de- the deception is when you start to believe that, you step out sort of like Freddie Mercury did, of every ounce of support and community that you have, and you can isolate yourself. So that's the sin part. But remember, this warning is progressive, which means it goes deeper than that. So if you think that the lies that you're believing are the end, I would challenge you to keep going in this thought as we continue, because the lies are just the beginning. When you are deceived by sin, that's only the beginning. It's not the end. And if we only answer that question, what lies am I believing? And then we answer those questions and we try to fix it all, we're going to miss the root of the problem. All right? So first is sin. 
the next progression in the warning is against unbelief. Right? So it starts out as sin. We start to question or um, even uh, listen to voices that we cannot trust. And the second one is unbelief. Unbelief is like this. What I once believed, I don't believe anymore. So it's, it, it could seem like a subtle difference, but it's not. Listen, if, if, I, if I ask you what lies are you believing, and you say that I am believing the lie that I'm doing this all on my own. You know, I tend to um, see myself as the sole provider for myself or for me and my family, and I act like that. And sometimes that causes me to do selfish, prideful things, right? You might say, that's my sin. But if I ask you, do you believe that's true? You might say, no. I know it's not true. That's what bugs me about it. I know that I can't do it without God, but I'm being deceived. So we would say, great, you have a sin problem. Get it? But if I say, do you believe that's true? And you say, I'm starting to, yeah. I mean, what has God done for me? I've been doing everything right. I went to school, I got an internship, I got a job, and then they laid me off after I had just signed a lease for my apartment. I'm doing everything right, and it feels like God's not working for me. So I'm starting to believe that it's not true that God is working for me, that that song that we just sang about God being a way maker isn't true for me because I haven't seen any ways made or any miracles worked on my behalf. So no, I'm starting to question that belief. You see how that's a different problem than the sin problem. Now you have an unbelief problem. It's when you stop believing the things that you know are true or the things, like the writer is saying, got you here in the first place. The people of Israel had a sin problem, then they had an unbelief problem. The writer diagnoses that when the writer says, um, these are the ones whom God delivered from the hand of Egypt. He said, they used to believe this. (laughs) And now, when God said, so the Egyptian army, just so you know, was a lot bigger than the armies they faced in the, in the region of Jericho. God delivered them from this giant army, and now they're not believing him to deliver them from this one city. That's not that they just had a deceit problem. They weren't just deceived. They were in unbelief. And so the next question, the question is, what lies am I believing? That's the sin question. This is, where have I stopped believing God is who he says he is. It doesn't mean, uh, I think one of the reasons that we are fearful to do these types of things is because we're scared of what we might find, right? What if I ask that question and I find an area of my life, I mean, I'm a pastor, what if I find an area of my life that I have lost belief in God? What then? We'll wrestle with that. That's a good question. We'll talk about it in a minute, but just let it sit. What happens if you find unbelief in your life? You see, unbelief finds its practical issue. Why is it, wrong? Why is it, why is it a problem if I don't believe? This is why. Unbelief finds its practical issue in disobedience. If we don't believe God is who he says he is, we don't trust him enough to obey what he says. If you and I are failing to believe God in an area of our life, whether it's our finances or our relationships or our self-image or our self-worth or our salvation or 
our loneliness or our depression or our physical ailments, you could name anything. If you're struggling to believe God is working for you in those areas, it will lend itself to disobedience. Because if you don't believe God is who he says he is, why obey him, right? If I tell my kids over and over and over and over again how much I love them, but I don't act like it, I stop showing them physical love with hugs, I start lashing out in anger on them, not sometimes because I'm a dad and I'm a human and I do that, but all the time, they will lose trust in me. Why? Because they stop believing. They stop believing that I love them. They stop believing that I have their best interests at heart because all they see is that I'm working for myself. All they see is that I'm being selfish. And they stop believing, which leads them to not trust. And that leads to disobedience. Those who lack belief in God have a faith problem, right? So if you've, uh, here's the, the question, what happens if I find unbelief? Isn't that scary? Well, sure, it, it could be scary, but it, it could also be a healthy growth opportunity for you. Because if you find you have an unbelief problem, you can think that this is just a problem I have in faith. And what happens when we lack faith? Well, God teaches us to pray and ask for more faith. And God says he's going to give faith to those who ask for it. Where are you having a hard time believing God? Do you struggle believing he is who he says he is? Do you find it hard to believe that he can do what he promises? Are those words of that song lost on you? Because you haven't seen a way made, you haven't seen a miracle worked, you haven't seen a promise kept, you don't even feel like you've been given a promise. Do you have difficulty believing that God can save you because you fail him time and time and time again? Have you ever been there? So ensnared by the same deceptive lie, so prone to continue in that same sin that you just say, I don't think there's any way God can save me from this. These doubts, that exact phrase I just said, these are the voice of deception. Not the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus proclaims truth to each one of those questions. And if you stay in that unbelief or you choose to ignore these questions, right? You say, I don't want to do this hard work because I'm scared of what I might find if I ask what lies and if I um, ask the question about unbelief. He says, remember, it's a progression and there's not only two steps. I'm afraid there are three. So after unbelief comes hardness of heart. What does he mean? You know, this phrase is used quite a few times throughout the Bible. What is someone who is hard of heart? It could be explained simply like this. What once bothered me doesn't bother me anymore. If you get to the place in your spiritual life where something used to bother you and doesn't bother you anymore, you have a hard heart. 
It's okay to find that diagnosis because, like I said, trust me, there is hope coming. There is light at the end of the tunnel. But if you choose to not find the diagnosis, it is just like going through life with cancer growing inside your body. It will get you. It's just a matter of time. A hard heart in one area will destroy you eventually. Even if it's just your self-image, which you've struggled with since you were a kid. Even if it's just pornography, which you've been looking at and indulging in and tried to stop and couldn't quite get it under wraps. Even if it's just using Tinder in ways that it is socially known for. To go from person to person, partner to partner. Even if it's just using and abusing alcohol to limits that you know are becoming a reliance for you. See, even if it's just one area that you have grown hard in, it will destroy you. I could say, don't believe me. You know, believe Freddie Mercury. That's part of the whole story, right? Micah and I at lunch today were exegeting Bohemian Rhapsody because we were talking about what it means. It's a sad song. I mean, we can belt it at karaoke because it has all these really great elements, which was his intention, but he is crying out for help. And I'm afraid that too many of us don't go to the place that he went to write that song. You see, you have to do some serious soul-searching to be able to find out these things about yourself. And he cried out in a song. I'm not sure if he found help. I, I tend to believe I don't think that he does. It's not a part of his story. But if you and I will cry out for help, there is an answer. Hardest of heart, by the way, is found there in verse, it's found in multiple verses, as I mentioned before, but right there in verse 8 at the top, he says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Then he says it again in verse 15, quoting again, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that even if you have found that you're believing lies and that you have unbelief in your heart and that you have a hard heart, right? He's saying, listen to the voice of Jesus. He is calling for you. The voice of Jesus is the one who can be like Mary Austin in the pouring rain in the back of that cab. Who's saying, come home. Come back to the one who loves you. These deceptions, these lies, these things that have caused unbelief, they are like a cancer in your body. They are just stirring around in your heart. They have made it hard that you don't even, these things don't even bother you anymore, and they will destroy you. Come back. Come to Jesus. I'm telling you, this, watching this movie this week, as you can tell, is one of those gifts from the Holy Spirit. We're like, I was preaching on that exact same thing that happened this week. You have got to be kidding me. Thank you for the Oscars. That reminded me I didn't need to see that movie. Um, by the way, me watching it is not a full endorsement in everything in the movie. It's a complicated story, so watch it with caution. Um, so what is all this working toward? 
What is the point of all this? He says it there in, in the passage. When we get to that progression, the end of the progression, what is the consequence? We're very consequence-minded, consequence uh, 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 consequence right? We want to know what is, what's going to happen, though. If I believe the lies, I, I, unbelief creeps in, and then I, I stop getting bothered by the things that used to bother me, what's going to happen to me? <laughs> you will get in trouble. You will not enter into rest. This whole passage, in fact, I can't steal too much of this part of the thunder, even though this is like the big punch of this passage. But in the next few weeks, the rest of this section in the book of Hebrews is actually about rest. You know what the writer of Hebrews is warning us about these things for? Because he is saying, if you believe the lies, unbelief creeps in, and your heart becomes hard, the greatest consequence you could experience is you will not find rest. And after all, isn't that exactly what you were looking for when you rewind all the way back to why you started believing those lies? Why'd you believe the lies of greed? Well, I thought because money was going to help me be able to have a comfortable life. Rest. Why'd you believe the lies of sexual immorality? Well, because I believe that when I finally indulged enough that I would be able to relax and de-stress or I would find the one whom I could live the rest of my life with. What is that? Rest. Why did you believe the lies that if you lashed out in anger, why did you believe the lies and lash out in anger in that person? Well, I believe that lie because I felt like if I lashed out in anger at that person, then they would finally understand that they are wrong and I would be able to rest easy because I showed them. What are you looking for? We're just looking for rest. We used to have this sign outside that said, um, where do you find rest in the city that never sleeps? So I and the writer of Hebrews ask you tonight, Where do you find rest? In a soul or with a soul that is battered by lies and unbelief and hardness of heart. When God speaks of rest, he's talking about a way of living victoriously. Victoriously in this world. It's not just about the future rest, although that's included in this tense here. He is saying you will future rest in God. But it's present as well. God's rest is about living in this world regardless of the valleys or the wildernesses you may experience or you may be walking through, you can have rest. That's the type of rest you can have. But the only way that we have rest on earth is by listening to and trusting the voice of Jesus instead of the lies. His faithfulness, his excuse me, his love for you, his plan for your well-being, and his ability to see you through to the end, walking with you all the way, that is the voice of Jesus calling you to rest. Freddie Mercury thought that if he stepped out in a solo career, he could finally be free to be the artist he was meant to be, the best version of himself. But do you know what he found? He found that the only way he could be the best version of himself was when he was in the band with Queen. Toward the end of the movie, he returns. This is a story that's been out there since the 70s, so if I spoil it for you. At the end of the movie, Freddie returns to the band 
following Mary's plea out there in the taxi cab. And as he's sitting on a couch with a um, moderator there in the room, begging them to take him back, this has been years, he says this, you know what I hated most about being away from you guys? And they all like scoff, you know. (laughs) Yeah, we know. And he says, I went into the recording session and the band did everything I asked. How do you get exposed as not having it all together? Everybody listens to you and it flops. (laughs) That's what happened. And then he goes by person by person around the room and he tells the bassist, the drummer, the guitarist how they would have talked to him and what they would have said during that recording process. He says, you know, to the drummer, you would have never let that beat go through. You would have switched it up here. And then he says to the guitarist, you would have, had, you would have never let, me give th- let that riff pass. You would have had two other versions before we ended up on the album. What he discovered was that he couldn't do it alone. If he wanted to be the best version of himself, he had to have Queen around him. And as you might have guessed at this point, because of verse 13 and the truth that Jesus' voice is not spoken in isolation but in community, neither can you. But exhort one another every day, and if you don't know what every day means, I'm going to repeat it to you in a different way. As long as it is called today... so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do we stop the progression? I feel powerless to listen to the voice of Jesus. I cannot do it sometimes. I mean, sometimes I'm sitting in my house in the dark, and I just cannot push through and listen to the voice of Jesus. I can hear it, I know what I should be doing, and I choose to believe the lies instead. Have you been there? You do it? the same way that Freddie Mercury did it. You have to have community. You cannot be the best version of yourself alone, in isolation. Christians were not meant to live in isolation. And for this to work, we have to be humbly approachable. Think about that word. Write it down if it hits you. In order for this to work, You have to be humbly approachable. That means that if you are going to have people around you who are going to speak into your life, when they approach you to speak, you have to be approachable and humbly approachable. It did, you know, it said something strong when I was watching that movie about Freddie Mercury. It said that although he did, he did have an arrogance problem and he thought it was wrapped up all in him, He knew that what those other band members were providing was of value because the fact that they kept speaking it meant that he kept letting it happen. He was the leader, but they had say in the process. He was humbly, I don't know if he was humbly approachable. That wasn't the point. That's what happens when you go off your notes. He was humbly approachable. No, maybe not. But you have to be. If you want to live the Christian life and community. You have to be humbly approachable. The second thing is you have to have the courage of loving honesty. That's when you're the person who you're, who you're approaching someone else. 
Think about that. Courage of loving honesty. You've got to be willing to be honest in a loving way, and that takes courage. Have you ever approached someone in this church or another church you've been a part of to talk with them about something that concerned you in their soul? Whether it was a sin or you, you heard something and you thought, it sounds like unbelief has crept in. Or maybe even you heard them be passive or apathetic about something with the faith and you thought, that they may even have a hardness of heart. It takes courage. And it takes loving honesty. You have to be humbly approachable if you're on that end. You have to, be, you have, to have courage and loving honesty if you're on this end. And finally, you have to remember that you are a disadvantaged human being if you don't have rebuke in your life. You are disadvantaged if you don't have rebuke in your life. If you've ever watched a hockey game, there's something fascinating in the sport of hockey. It's called a power play. It happens often throughout the game. And what, what goes on is, if there's a penalty committed, there's different variations of how long, but if there's a penalty committed, one player right there in the middle of the game is actually forced to sit out for a period of time. There's a power play for the other team. The other team has five on the ice and you only have four. And sometimes two players do something wrong, either at the same time or close to one another. And then it's five on three. When you choose to live life, the Christian life, in a in isolation. When you choose to live the Christian life in isolation, you are choosing to let the enemy have a power play. You're sitting on the bench. You're taking one of your players, you're putting them on the side and saying, I got this. And you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure when most goals are scored in hockey games. During power plays. The lies that you tend to believe, the unbelief creeping in, the hardness of heart. If you go back and search those questions, and I hope that you will, I think you might find that the times that you are most vulnerable to these attacks is our, our times when you are in isolation. When you have community around you, you're humbly approachable. You have people who have courage to be lovingly honest with you. You live with such an advantage. And that is what the voice of Jesus gives. The voice of Jesus to those people and to your life encourages and lifts up. It reminds you of truth. All those lies we talked about, throw them away. Not just because you think you're powerful enough, but because you know you have people around you who are going to be reminding you. You're struggling with one of those things I talked about, whether it's greed or uh, sexual immorality or uh, stepping out in your relationships. Or it could be any sin, pride, alcoholism, gluttony, lying, struggling with being angry at work. I dare you to reach out to someone in this congregation and let them know. Be humbly approachable. And sometimes that means you have to take the first step and say, I need help with this. I'm convicted of it, and I've tried, and I've failed enough on my own. 
Would you mind helping me? I don't know of a person in this room who would say, nah, you got this. They don't want, we don't want you to live at a disadvantage. We want you to live victoriously. And sometimes the voice of Jesus speaks loudest through the church. You can trust the voice of Jesus because Jesus is using his voice right now to advocate on our behalf before the Father. You see, you and I were once alienated and hostile in mind. We didn't have a hard heart. The Bible says we were actually dead in our trespasses. So that's, that's the hope thing. Remember I said it was coming to hope? The hope of a hard heart is it's not a dead heart. Amen? Because God doesn't have a problem with dead hearts. So don't start to think for a second he has a problem with your hard heart. He has a problem with it, but he doesn't have a problem fixing it. You see, Jesus is using his voice right now. He's advocating on your behalf to the Father in heaven. He is saying, I have covered that believer with my blood. They are white and pure and holy. And anything the enemy can say against them has been covered. Past, present, and future. That's the voice you're trusting. When that voice speaks truth to you, you listen. Even if it comes through someone close to you in the church. So there's some next step questions written down there. Hopefully you have some questions written for yourself. What voices are replacing Jesus's in your life? What voices are you listening to? Where is sin creeping in, causing unbelief, or even hardness of heart? And then that last next step is one of the most beautiful ways that we listen to and obey the voice of Jesus in the church. It says, who can you encourage this week? When you start to feel like you're not hearing the voice of Jesus and you are a believer, you be the voice of Jesus. If you don't feel like you're getting fed, if you feel like you're lost in sin, take a step of faith and say, who can I find to speak truth? Because you know what happens when you start speaking truth to others? They start reciprocating that back to you and you find that you have more faith than you did before. The voice of Jesus is powerful because it, is, because it speaks truth. And I encourage each of us this week to remember that Jesus is the better voice and to make a habit, a practice of being the voice of Jesus to others. He has filled you with the Holy Spirit. And that is so that your cup runneth over. And when your cup runneth over, the water gets to other people. When the voice of Jesus stays inside of you, it doesn't help anybody else. But you start speaking it in faith to your brothers and sisters around you, and you'll start to see blooms come on the branches that you thought were dead. Turns out, they were just hard. And God's ready to make something beautiful out of your hard heart. Trust him and listen to his voice tonight. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for the voice of Jesus. You are so clear. God, sometimes your word is just so crystal clear that it's, it's just right in front of us, laid out for us to trust in. So I feel like tonight, 
We just need to step in faith into listening to your voice. I ask that you would give boldness and courage to each person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.